I saw a meme the other day that was like, you either dungeons or you dragons, dude. You either dungeons or you dragons. And I thought that that was basically summed up my campaign setting pretty well. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is dungeons and dungeons. It's time to roll some dice. Although, what if you never did dungeons either? <laughs> so what? It's like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> um, We're just going to call this game Ampersand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Actually, that kind of sounds like a cool game. I think I, w- I would play a game that was called Ampersand. It sounds very wacky. Yeah, it does. Well, you know, when you guys aren't, like, cool enough, uh, you know, all the cool kids play this game. Oh. Oh, I see how it is. Welcome to Arcane Explained. Today we are talking about Agonazar Scorcher. My name is Matt. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lewis. Together we are going to break down this second level evocation spell for sorcerers and wizards. Before we get into today's spell, we want to give a special thanks to all the new listeners and people leaving comments and liking and giving us some reviews. Yeah, we've had so much great response from the first two episodes that we've recorded and released so far. At this point, episode three is about to come out, so hopefully you guys will like that as well. Uh, We're just really encouraged by the fact that so many of you guys have said that this is something that you're looking for, and that it's different to you guys than a lot of like the actual play podcasts that are out there. So thank you so much for that. It really means a lot to us that you're out here supporting us, and uh, we we can't thank you enough for enjoying it, and we hope that you continue to enjoy this whole journey that we're on, uh, because we've got a long ways to go if we're going to go through all the spells. So we hope you are strapped in and ready to go. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> um, so, Kirsten, will you read today's spell for us, please? I would love to. Okay, so today we are talking about Agonizar's Scorcher, or however you say that. We're going to say it however we want to say it, um, and our apologies if it's wrong. You can let us know, you can yell at us, but uh, anyways. This is a second level evocation spell that sorcerers and wizards can get. Uh, The casting time is one action, the range is 30 feet, the components are verbal, somatic, and material, and the material component is a red dragon scale, so fancy. Uh, The duration on this is instantaneous. The description reads... A line of roaring flame 30 feet long and 5 feet wide emanates from you in a direction you choose. Each creature in the line must make a dexterity saving throw. A creature takes 3d8 fire damage on a failed save or half as much damage on a successful one. And then at higher levels, when you cast the spell using a spell slot of 3rd level or higher, the damage increases by 1d8 for each slot level above 2nd. So, seems like a pretty good 2nd level spell. Nothing too crazy powerful. Uh, What do you guys think? Absolutely. Thanks for reading it. The first thing that comes to my mind is fire. And if you're wanting fire to be kind of like the theme of your character, this is definitely a really good spell to choose. Uh, Even in the name, you're like, ooh, that's very invocative. And I can't help but say it with the Texas twang. Agonazar. (laughs) Our Texan is showing on that one. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Agonazar Scorcher. But really, also, I had a hard time thinking of any kind of visuals. Like, it doesn't sound epic enough to be like, oh, yeah, it's the, the, the fire serpent that Voldemort creates in the Dumbledore-Voldemort yeah. fight. Exactly. Like, it's not that powerful, but I can't really... Do you have any images that pop up? 
I had a really hard time wrapping my brain around it and like trying to just have something by some miracle come out and I failed. So, no. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is this is one of those spells that I would pick if I want to be like any fire mage, whether it's a sorcerer or the wizard. This is very thematic. Okay. Scorching Ray is also a second level spell, but you get to hit up to three targets. Each target, if you hit, which is a spell attack roll, is 2d6, right? So that's more maybe efficient and and this and all that, but it, it's like, to me, it's more like laser beams, and this is more like actual fire shooting up out of the ground. You're conjuring bursts of fire in a straight line, 30 feet. Which is a decent distance. Um, you just gotta hope that your DM lines up the enemies in a straight row so you can cast this spell. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is kind of like in the same thing of like chain lightning, I think it is, where like it's perfect if you can get them in a line, but the probability of that happening isn't always great. Like, so maybe you'll get really lucky and your DM will, will get it that way, but more than likely you're gonna have to miss at least a few people. Yeah. I would say this, like, if you know you're going to do some, some dungeon diving, I feel like this might come in handy because, you you know, you might be in some tight corridors, perhaps, or, you know, you might be arranged in a way where this could actually be a little more useful. Yeah, I would say that this is definitely a spell that would work better if you're indoors and you're more likely to have them in a specific space as opposed to just spread out in a field or something like that. I think you could do it that way, but it, I think you have a better chance of it being effective. Yeah, we and Lewis in our pre-recording were kind of talking a little bit about, is it like a wall? And that's kind of how he was visualizing. And I said, no, because like there is a wall of fire and it, it, this is like bursts of fire because it happens instantaneously in a straight line and then it's gone. Yeah. So, I mean, for flavor, the DM could like say that things were singed and scorched, and, you know, because the spell doesn't really say anything catches on fire. Yeah, that's true. It's hard to distinguish it from Wall of Fire, though, because in my head, like, everything that I can think of that would be even close to the spell is very much so a Wall of Fire type of situation. But thinking of something that's just like, and then it's gone. Honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of this spell is Tim the Sorcerer from the Holy Grail. This is what he's <laughs> casting. He's casting. He's casting Agonazar Scorcher. Oh my god, you're so right. I did not even think about that. Wow, it's been a long time since I've watched that movie. Because it's a little burst of flame and white smoke. <laughs> I mean, it's just that in a straight line th for 30 feet. And so, I mean, the, the thing is, is if you're in a tight corridor, it, this is the perfect spell to, to have in your back pocket. Yeah. You know, your your party's trying to flee or break out of a jail and, or whatever, or infiltrate the dungeon and, and it's a narrow corridor and so you get to hit all the enemies in a row. And maybe they'll have disadvantage on their dexterity saving throw because it's literally an only five foot wide hallway. So they can't dive out of the way or roll or jump or do Chuck Norris splits or something. <laughs> I could. I would be impressed if that happened. <laughs> I could definitely see like, since it's the second level, you get it fairly early on. And so that lends itself to like a group of like goblins that kind of gather together. You know what I mean? Like I kind of, I kind of could see it working at, at lower levels more. I mean, I guess it can be applied higher levels as well, but like, I don't know, usually the bad guys or, you know, your enemies get smarter and usually they don't like cluster up. I would assume, you know, as a DM, you would make them a little more intelligent. 
part of this is also learning about all the different material components and their value. And the fact of the matter is that if you have a DM that's like, no, you don't have an arcane focus, you have to use material components, then you can't get this spell unless you go and yes, Sir Red Dragon of Terrifyingness, may I please have one single scale, which it doesn't say it's consumed, so you just need one. And then you never need another one. But how are you going to get that a second level, a red dragon scale? Yeah, and particularly, like, I don't know how, how everybody does it because everybody's got their different campaign settings. But in my, uh, the one that I DM for, I have a homebrew world that I've completely created on my own. And dragons are rare in the world to the point of most people in the age that they're in now don't believe that they exist. They think they are a fairy tale. Or if they do believe that they existed at some point, that they died after the gods sealed themselves um, in their divine plane or whatever. So trying to find even just one to, like, buy or whatever. Because I feel like at some point, in some setting you could potentially get one you know at a really fancy bazaar like a gilmore's glorious good style shop that sells extravagant spell components like you could probably do that but in in my in my world like you would probably not even be able to find that like it would be so hard to find a dragon scale that i don't know how i would try to like reconcile that if a player was like i really want to take this spell i'd have to be like well Go find a red dragon, basically. Quest chain. You got to go to this special alchemist shop in the capital city of this one nation. And guess what? It's on another continent. Good luck getting there. You might want to grind some levels first. I will say, just for those who are rules as written, because uh, y'all are kind of talking about your own, like, rules and stuff. So, the way this would work, rules as written, I actually looked it up before uh, recording, uh, so I have it here. So, if you actually go to page uh, 203 in the uh, Player's Handbook, and you go to the material section of the spell components, so here it is. It says, casting some spells requires particular objects. Specified in parentheses in the component entry, a character can use a component pouch or a spellcasting focus in place of the components specified for a spell. But if a cost is indicated for a component, a character must have the specified component before he or she can cast the spell. Yeah, I mean, basically that's a gist. So, I mean, that's rules as written. If you have an arcane focus or a component pouch, technically this dragon skill would be provided for you. How do component pouches work again? Uh, you have to remind me because I've never played a wizard or anything like that. But d- does it just like magically summon whatever you need? Or does it work as just a pouch that, quote unquote, the universe says that you happen to have it? There's no like lore explanation that I am aware of. It is just a mechanic thing that they did not like. I don't know in previous editions if like part of being a wizard was oh now as part of my downtime between the next dungeon and this dungeon I'm gonna say my character uh, went and picked a bunch of spell components right like I went and got this and I went and got that so I can cast this spell like bat guano for fireball and that kind of stuff and so maybe that's something that's just that they've kept from older editions. I really don't know. But as far as 5th edition is concerned, it doesn't matter if you use a spell component pouch or an arcane focus. It's The game assumes that you have the components unless, like he says, there's a, a gold cross to the, to the spell. Yeah. See, and I could totally get in my world, like, the I, I would totally let somebody use a spellcasting focus, but I think something as rare as the dragon scale, I don't think I would let, like, it just because of the way my world is set up, like, I just don't think that I would let somebody use 
their component pouch to have that. Like, and I know that's probably a little crappy as far as like the rules go, but I just like the way it's it's set up in my world is that they're so rare and that I would literally let them have like diamonds if they wanted, if they needed one. But a, a red dragon scale is literally that rare in my world that I don't think that I would just homebrew let that happen. Yeah. So I, I don't know, maybe that's like a taboo of like D&D dungeon mastering. But uh, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't think I would feel right just being like, oops, I happen to have a component pouch. Just let me have this. I believe that Matt Colville doesn't allow gnomes in his setting. So like it's if like as far as most people I think out there believe is if the DM is running their own setting, as long as they're upfront to the players, like uh, this is dragons in my setting are extremely rare. So like dragonborn and like if if you're a ranger, don't pick like a dragon as your favorite enemy because the odds of you coming across one are gonna be really rare, super rare, super that makes rare. Sense. And so you just let it, but if you didn't tell them that, and like the guy's like, I'm creating a monster hunter ranger, and his whole thing is like cunning dragons, and they show up to your setting, and you're like, dragons were extinct 500 years ago. And they're like, what? Yeah, that would be so sad. Yeah, I I mean, I've only DM'd a few times um, here and there, but I tend to lean rules as written, just because I feel like you got to have some like starting point, and like that way the players are understanding of where you're coming from, so... I really don't see a problem with it. I mean, I could see, I definitely could also see the other side where if dragons are super rare or extinct, then yes, I could definitely see like kind of working with the player on this particular spell because the material component is a dragon scale. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I can see where, you know, you would just want to stick with it. And I think that that's perfectly fine. That's that's really up to, up to every DM. I mean, that's the cool thing about Dungeons and Dragons is you can, you know, change the world to fit how you want it or you can stick exactly rules as written or whatever. So I think it's cool. And it, it's interesting to hear the different takes on it. If any of you guys out there that are listening have any sort of weird take that would uh, interfere with this spell or any other components, let us know. We definitely love to hear about it. Definitely. Also, let us know how you would like to say Agnazar. <laughs> also, yes, I would love to hear all the different pronunciations. Um, We actually, now that we're talking about pronunciations, we ran a little poll about like how to say Eldritch or Eldrick. Um, and it seemed like Eldritch won pretty heavily. Um, there are a few people out there that would say it Eldrick. And we're not shaming anybody if you say it Eldrick, uh, just because it's a minority. We know there's plenty of languages out there, plenty of accents, and all sorts of different like uh, vocal disabilities uh, and things like that that might interfere with it. So if you say it Eldrick, like, no worries. We're not yeah. going to, you know... Uh, crap on you all for that like that's cool you know we probably have said it that way multiple times too um but it, that, i think that's interesting how there can be some variety in things like eldritch versus eldrick or agonazar versus agonazar or things like that sigil sigil <laughs> yes i think that just comes with um using weird or made-up words in dungeons and dragons is there's so many different ways to pronounce things so it's it's very fascinating to me anyways I mean, that's one of the best one-liners in Infinity War. Uh, Thor mentions the name of the the place where he's going to go to get his super hammer. And, like, I think Drax is like, that word's made up. You made that word up. And Thor's like, all words are made up. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I mean, I know we got a lot of feedback on that, like how we pronounced it, blah, blah, blah. And so, I mean, I don't know. We just do our best to try to pronounce it how we think it's correct. And we just go with it and, you know, just kind of go with the flow, man. I mean, we're always open to feedback, like, don't get us wrong. Um, as long as you're not yelling at us, please don't yell at us. We're sensitive. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, also, though, this is a red wizard from the Forgotten Realm setting, and I believe that the spell first appeared in third edition. Fun little 
factoid for those people out there. Another one of those famous people who has a spell named after them, coming out of nowhere, being all fancy. And with a, a somewhat uh, hard name to pronounce as well. Yeah, some people have such normal names. Like you have Tasha, which is like so easy to say. And then you have Mordenkainen and Agonazar. <laughs> and it's like, what are you guys doing? And Abidalzim. Yeah. Oh, I just want to create a homebrew spell where it's just like Tim's kind of all right spell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that idea. Yeah, I think you could have some fun with that. I mean, definitely, once again, I've, I've talked about this a little bit on Absorb Elements, but creating an elemental monk, look at some of the wizard and sorcerer spells, because if you want to recreate, like, firebending or any of those kind of, um, like, manipulation of the elements and martial arts, you can take these spells and modify them and say that if they spend a certain amount of key points, then they can recreate these spells without the use of material components. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like a spell-like ability. Yeah, I think you could easily warp this into something like that. I don't think it would be any problem. I would, I would allow it for sure, especially as low of a level it is. I will say, though, as far as like if I had to choose between this spell and um, Scorching Ray, I would personally go with Scorching Ray um, just because, one, the range is longer for Scorching Ray. I believe it's 120 feet, so it's much further. Uh, two, uh, you get... Uh, three chances to hit um, which I guess you could argue either way like because that's a hit or miss type of thing uh, whereas this one it's a saving throw so they will technically all get hit but if they make their saving throw they take half damage so you know um, I could see it argued either way as far as damage but I think I still at, at the end of the day I think I would go with Scorching Ray over this one. Yeah, I think it's kind of like how you were saying, it really just depends on what you're doing. Like, this one might be a little more efficient for dungeon diving or anything that you know you're going to have, like, swaths of enemies come at you because you know that this will give you the ability to hit multiple people, whereas Scorching Ray might be more effective for just a smaller group or, or a more wide open area. So it really depends on, like, you know, you knowing what you're about to get yourself into. <laughs> yeah, no, do Spell Sniper and then Scorching Ray. That's true. Get extra distance. Man, Spell Sniper is oof. Oh, the DM's like trying to build tension. The dragon is, uh, or not in your setting. The demon is 500 feet. Oh, I got something for that. I got something for that. I'm still bitter about my sister doing that to the werewolf. Like, <sighs> oh, that was a great story. How, how far away was the werewolf as it died? I'd never heard the details on that. It didn't even die. She cast moonlight on it. And it failed its saving throw. Moonbeam. It was moonbeam. Or moonbeam, sorry, thank you. And so it meant it reverted back to its human form. I don't even remember how far away she was, but that spell already had like 120 range on it. And then she had spell sniper, which meant that it was like 240. So she was like, how far away is it? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like a couple hundred. And she was like, I'm going to cast moonbeam. And I was like, damn it. And so like, I was so mad that I just kind of like threw the d20 down and it landed on the three. And I was like, well... Cool. And that was the first time I'd ever DM'd, so that was quite a quite an experience. So for context, we're going to go cue sitcom kind of visuals. So me and Kirsten's sister are sitting at the table, and, and she's picking her spells, and I'm trying to be, like, not too meta because I also am a DM, and I don't want to be, like, too, like, oh, pick that. That's a good Oh, and that one. And so she asks Moonbeam. She goes, ooh, that sounds cool, and she reads it, and she's like, what do you think? And I'm like... That sounds cool. And Kirsten just sticks her head back 
into the room. Like her whole body is somewhere else, and she's just her head sticking out. And she's like, "What does that spell do?" And she like <laughs> reads it again, and it's like something about if you're a shapeshifter, you make the save at disadvantage, and you revert back to your form. And so she's like, oh, cool, 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 cool. And then she walks out. She's like, they're going to be, what? I mean, I don't, there's a werewolf. Yeah, yeah. yeah just panic. <laughs> and so, and then the, the moment of truth happens and the werewolf shows up and it's like, I cast Moonbeam. <laughs> oh my God. And it was just over. They didn't even get a single round of combat in there. Like Matt's character and then the DMPC that I had made, because this is my first time and I was so paranoid I was going to kill them that I made a DMPC. They literally got to where the thing was, and then I had them roll initiative, but Eli's character was all the way back. For those of you wondering what the party was, Eli was a human druid, I was a goblin wizard, and I believe the DMPC... I think the DMPC was like a half-orc? Yeah, barbarian. That my character rode around like a mount. I just Like a backpack, like a Yoda backpack. I was a green goblin with yellow robes. And yeah, so then they finally get there, and, and I had them roll initiative, and Eli's character, who was so far back because she got distracted with something, I don't even remember what, was like rushing through the forest to get to the werewolf, trying to catch up with the other two, rolled like a natural 20 on initiative, I think, and so it was going before everybody else. So even though she was all that ways away, she went ahead and I probably, I, I don't know, you might have, I don't think it said that you had to see the target. So I think that's why it worked, because I think if you had to see the target, I don't think it would have worked, but she just cast it, and it was like, done. That was it. Nobody even got a single round of combat in on the werewolf. That was it. And the person that I was suspicious of was the werewolf. <laughs> okay, so also, I had just found out about the spell Catapult, and I was like, this is so awesome. And so I was like, I cast Catapult. But she goes, but they're not a werewolf anymore. I know. <laughs> Well, that was really fun talking about Agonazar's Agonazar. Come on now, say it right, say it real good. Agonazar Scorcher. <laughs> Agonazar Scorcher. Uh, I'm sure we'll get so many lovely comments on how we pronounced it. But as always, we love to see anybody's thoughts and opinions. As Kirsten said, as long as you're not, you know, yelling at us. <laughs> but yeah, so don't be mean. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and wind it down and uh, come to an end here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Arcane Explained. You can follow us at Arcane Explained on Twitter. And you can follow me at Casting Cantrips. And you can email us your questions, comments, and suggestions at arcaneexplained at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Kirsten Geddes. That's K-I-R-S-T-E-N-G-E-D-D-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash arcane explained. And you can follow us on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash arcane underscore explained. We also have a Pinterest, pinterest.com forward slash arcane explained, where you can see little snippets from the show, uh, links to our episodes, and of course those sweet, sweet D&D memes. And we now have a Tumblr. That's a Tumblr, or sorry, arcaneexplained.tumblr.com. And we have a website, of course. So if you want to see show notes, get a little bit of a deep dive into what we were talking about, maybe some examples in case you're confused, that's arcaneexplained.wordpress.com. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. The next time you cast Agonazar Scorcher, you'll be casting with confidence. Bye! Bye!
recording. Nothing weird. No tacos and burritos. Nachos. <laughs> yep, okay. Before we get into today's... Oh. Oh. We're not professional enunci- pronunciators. Is that a thing? I don't know. And the material... Uh, My audacity just stopped and says not responding, so I don't know if it's got any of this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, (laughs) Yeah, some definitely... Some, uh... Or if, like, right in the middle of you reading it, there's just this feedback loop. Yeah, doing weird sounds. Uh, well, you were, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true, basically, exactly. I mean, I prefer Eldritch, Eldritch, horror, yeah, I would love, oh, sorry, man, like, for, 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 Agonazars, Aga. Agonazar. So one more time, Agonazar, Agonazar, Agonazar Scorcher. Also, I find it slightly ironic that, like, in a setting for Dungeons and Dragons, there's not very many dragons. <laughs> yeah, I know. And there's been like so few dungeons. Like it just, I don't know, it just kind of struck me as you were explaining it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I was like, oh. Dungeons and dungeons. 